Today's scripture is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would not break the bonds and be driven, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And then they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, brothers and sisters, Satan is real. What an interesting way to start a sermon, huh? Satan is real. I say that, I feel like I need to say that because sometimes we forget that he is a real being with, with real power. He is not some made-up character who shows up in movies and, and cartoons to personify evil. No, a Satan is real and you must understand that he has a real agenda, a real agenda. And that agenda is to seek to thwart the plans and purposes of God, all the while seeking to keep blind the eyes of unbelievers, keep them blind from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Satan seeks to do. That's his plan. The Bible makes these goals clear. First, notice what Jesus says in John 10 and 10. The thief, speaking of Satan, only uh, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus says, I come, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Do you see the contrast there? Do you see the contrast? Jesus came to bring the abundant life. But Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy life. 
two completely opposing agendas. Jesus desires life. Satan desires death. He works, goes about his activity, uh, his works to thwart the plans of God. And like we said also, he uh, seeks to blind, right, the unbelievers to the truth of the gospel, namely in the face of uh, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 reminds us of that. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world. The God of this world who we know to be Satan seeks to keep unbelievers blind to the truth of the gospel. That is his goal. He wants to keep people, he wants to keep people from seeing Jesus. And guess what? If you haven't figured it out already, if you, if you didn't realize it, he's good at it. He is very good at it. He is an expert at this profession. The, the Bible describes him as a deceiver, as a liar, and as an accuser. And he uses all of these tactics to their full measure in order to accomplish these, these goals that he has. He is relentless in his pursuit of these goals. And brothers and sisters, Satan, but you, but you need to know uh, that it's not just Satan that has these goals. We need to be aware that Satan has an army, an army of foot soldiers better known as demons. Demons. Now, I'm not sure the realm of the demonic is something that you have thought a great deal about the demonic, even though the Bible very clearly and frequently talks about it, talks about it matter-of-factly. But maybe, maybe you've just glossed over the times that the Bible mentions or talks about demons, thinking, you know what, that, that part is for the more charismatic folks among us. For us conservative Bible-believing folks, we, we don't deal with the realm of the demonic. But the truth is, brothers and sisters, the Bible doesn't just make clear that Satan is real. It also makes clear that demons are real. Matthew 8 and 16 tells us of Jesus going about. And when Jesus was on this earth that evening, they brought to him many, it says, who were oppressed by demons. And this is not just in Matthew, it's in various places throughout the Gospels where Jesus encountered demons. So you must understand that demonic activity is real. And, and, you, and you know what? Let's be clear. 
you and I deal with and have encounters with demons far more than we have encounters with Satan. You got to think about that for a minute. Think about it. In fact, I would argue that none of us have actually full-on faced an attack of Satan. We haven't. I know we like to say things like, the devil made me do it. The reason why I sinned or fell into sin is because the devil made me do it. Now, one thing I would say is don't blame your flesh on the devil. Devil, Just, just admit it. You did it because your flesh gave into the temptation. But secondly, you must realize that Satan is not omnipresent. He is not everywhere all the time. He can't be tormenting you and tormenting me at the same time. <laughs> Satan himself cannot be doing that. But he does have minions. He does have foot soldiers, demons, and his demons are the ones that are carrying out his plans and his purposes upon the earth, bringing, out, bringing in schemes against his, God's people. Brothers and sisters, demons are real. And they operate according to the urges of who the Bible calls the prince of demons. In Matthew 12 and 24, it says, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, trying to uh, attribute Jesus casting out demons to Satan, it says, it is only by Bezel, there you go, that one, <laughs> the, the, the prince of demons, <laughs> that this man casts out demons. Demons are Satan's foot soldiers, and they go about this world doing his bidding, seeking to accomplish his goal. But while Satan and demons are real, we must never forget that so is God. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, God is real. And, and yes, and yes, Satan and demons, they do possess some power and, and some authority and some influence, but all their power, all their authority, and all of their influence is no match for Jesus. His power, authority, and influence far surpass, surpass that of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus plans to bring, uh, his, his plan to bring abundant life to those whom he created, those plans cannot ever be thwarted. In fact, we've already explored this in our series, haven't we? Because this isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered a, a demon-possessed man, right? We, we saw that, I think it was back in Luke uh, chapter, chapter 5. 
And what we learn then, we also learn now. And that is this fact, that Satan is no match for Jesus because of what John says in 1 John 3 and 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus has appeared. That's why he has come. That's why Satan is no match for him, because he has come to destroy the works of the devil. We saw that when he dealt with the demon-possessed man in the synagogue, and we're going to see it in our text this morning as we explore this demon-possessed man in the region of Gerasenes. Now, uh, because of the headings in our Bible, right, we, we, you might be tempted, we, we get tempted to think that, that Jesus calming the storm, that that's what we dealt with last time we were in Luke, right, uh, that Jesus calming the storm on the sea is somehow separate from our account this morning. The, the headings might make you assume that these two encounters happened on, on different days or, or at different times in Jesus' uh, life. But, but, but with a closer reading of the text, you will notice, and I, and I hope you will remember, that the reason why the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee was because Jesus had an appointment with this man. That, that's why they were on the way to the boat. It was on the way to this encounter with this demon-possessed man that they had that encounter with the storm. But Jesus knew the storm in their path wasn't simply the one on the Sea of Galilee. They were about to run into a storm on the shore as well. The, the same chaos and fear and confusion that the storm produced for the disciples in the boat was the same storm, fear, and confusion that the man they were about to encounter on the shore produced. Luke says that when, when Jesus uh, stepped off the boat, a man from the city met him. And this man had demons, it says. Now, both Matthew and Mark include this in their account, uh, uh, in, the, in their Gospels, and provide additional details. And so they describe this man as having an unclean spirit. Demon-possessed is what Luke says, and, and, and then in, in Matthew and Mark we hear this man had an unclean spirit. Brothers and sisters, put bluntly, this man was demon-possessed. He was possessed by demons. Now, as we've said, Satan's goal is to keep people from seeing Jesus and to prevent them from having the abundant life promised to those who do see him. And so, as Luke describes for us, he begins to describe for us what life was like for this demon-possessed man. And we see the work of Satan. His goal 
of, of seeking to steal and to destroy life, that is what is being unleashed upon this man who is demon-possessed. Notice what Luke says in Luke 8 and 27. For a long time, doesn't say how long, but it had to be a long time that he had worn no clothes. No clothes. And he had not lived in a house, but he, uh, he lived among the tombs. Naked, running around the tombs. He would go on to give further details about his predicament in verse 29. For many at for many a time, it had seized him, speaking of the demons, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and, and be driven by the demon into the desert. Mark expounds this a little bit and says in Mark 5 and 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Oh, this man was being tormented. Naked, running through the tomb, screaming out, cutting, cutting himself. This, this was his, his predicament for, 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 for years. He, had been, he was being tormented by, by not just one demon, but a host of, of demons. When, when Jesus asked the man his name, the demon responded by saying, Legion, for we are many. I can't even imagine being there. This is, this is scary stuff. This is frightening stuff. Slowly and painstakingly, these demons were seeking literally to destroy the life of this Man. And his life was marked by chaos, disorder, violence, and hopelessness. That's why he's running around the tombs. He's, he's, he's already a dead man, basically. Hopelessness marked out his life. All of this brought on by this demon possession. Now, I don't think we should make the mistake of making a one-to-one -one parallel between homelessness or violence and, and then thinking those people are the ones who are demon-possessed, okay? We, we shouldn't be going around here and seeing those people that are maybe homeless or we see them acting out in violence or, or, or they're, they're running around maybe screaming or cutting... And, don't assume that they are demon-possessed. Not all people suffering under those ills are possessed by a demon. But we ought to realize that the works of the evil one are to inflict pain and disorder in people's lives. Their goal is destruction and strife. And so, so... It, it, here's, I think, the point here. If, if, if someone is possessed by a demon, it will show itself. You, you will see it. No one is quietly, you do understand, demon-possessed. It is evident and clear 
that this person is in a destructive state. It would have been, it was evident to everyone who encountered this man that he was demon-possessed. In light of all this, however, I want to say then, remember, uh, demon possession is not easily identifiable. And we need to be careful about diagnosing people as demon-possessed simply because they are acting strange. But here's the deal. We do need to be aware that demonic influence and activity in our lives and in this world is more prevalent than you and I realize. You and I, the Bible says, wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against cosmic powers over this present darkness and over the spiritual forces of evil. Demonic activity is real in this world. Demons do influence people to engage in destructive behavior. They are the catalyst for evil and violence that plague our streets and litter our news feeds. Don't think that because you have never witnessed someone who was demon-possessed, that you are free from demonic activity. It's, it's all around us. It manifests itself in so many different ways. If we would just have eyes to see that, that, the, that the evil one is seeking to thwart the purposes and plans of God. Uh, so then, therefore, we should not take it lightly. The man, this demon-possessed man that Jesus encountered, was suffering. He was a danger to himself and a danger to others. The community that he found himself in was, was suffering, dealing with this, this man. They had, been, they, had been over, they, they had been affected by him. Notice what the gospel writers tell us. They, they tried to bound him with change, but that didn't work. And, and it says that no one, no one in the city, no one had the strength to control him, and so he lived ostracized from the community. And there is no doubt that people lived in fear of him. As the demons terrorized him, he terrorized the community. This was not a good situation, brothers and sisters. He was not in a good state. The community was not in a good state because of this demon possession. There were not many who are going to be willing, you see now, because of all this, to engage with this man. There was nobody willing. It was I said, okay, I'll, I'll go see him. I'll go, I'll go talk to him. That was not, nobody was volunteering to go talk to this man. But there was one who was willing. <laughs> there was one who had an appointment with him, in fact. Jesus was willing to go to this man. And I believe that the reason why Jesus was going, was willing to go to this man and engage him, it's because of what he had told his hometown church, that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him. 
that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to set at liberty those who were oppressed. That's what we see being worked out here. This is Isaiah's fulfillment of Jesus, the Messiah, who had come to destroy the works of the devil by setting at liberty those who were oppressed. This man was being oppressed by demons. So Jesus had an appointment with him to set him free. So Jesus steps off the boat and immediately is met by the man who, who under the influence of the demons, actually knows who he is and recognizes his authority. Luke 8, 28, it says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not tor torment me. This is how we don't separate this account from the account on the sea. Because you remember how the disciples struggled to come to grips with who Jesus was when he calmed the storm, right? What, what manner of man is this? Who, who is this that stands before us? But here the demons knew right away. They knew clearly who had stepped off that boat. They correctly identified him as the son of the most high God. And, and notice the demon's posture. They fell down before Jesus. Fell down in fear. Fearful. Not fearful out of reverence for Jesus, but fearful because of the power and the authority they knew that Jesus possessed. This man that they were encountering was different than all those people in the city that tried to help him. <laughs> man was different. There was a clear understanding on the demon's part that standing before them was the creator God, full of power and authority, and they knew that they were subject to him. They may have taken their orders from Satan, but ultimately authority rested with Jesus. Oh, let's never forget that, brothers and sisters. Satan and his minions, you do understand, are not on par with God. They are not on par with God. This is not, like people sometimes think, two equally powerful forces, forces of good and forces of evil, warring against each other and, and struggling to see who will come out on top. That is not how it's working. <laughs> No, we must understand that God has ultimately, ultimate authority. And we see this in the life of, of Job. Satan has to come to God to ask him to inflict suffering and pain on Job. Job 1 and 12, and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He, he needed permission from the, the Lord to carry out his bidding on the earth. The demons that were tormenting this man recognized Jesus' authority. And they knew why he was there. They knew it. 
He had come to restore peace. He had come to deal with them. And so cowering in fear and, 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 and knowing their pending fate, they make a request of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, don't, don't send us into the abyss, they pleaded. Send us into those pigs that are there feeding on the, the hillside. For they knew to be sent into the abyss would have meant their ultimate destruction. Because you do understand that the demons, they know that there is a day coming. Judgment is coming. When they will be finally dealt, satisfied, dealt with. And they will be sent into the abyss, into destruction. And they, they, they said, not, I hope that time is not yet. So don't send us into the abyss. Send us into those pigs on the hillside, they pleaded. So demonstrating his power, Jesus obliged and he cast the demon out of the man and into the pigs. And upon entering the pigs, the demons once again prove what their goal is. The, the pigs rush down into, down the bank, into the, into the Sea of Galilee and they drown. Because ultimately, the, the goal of the demonic is destruction. It's death. It's to destroy. And so it's just another picture of it. The pigs rush down into the water and drown. But this man was healed. No longer possessed by demons. Jesus had cast them out. What the people of the city had been trying to do for years with no success. Jesus was able to do in an instant. He healed this man. Brothers and sisters, that is the power of Jesus. You understand that there are just some things in our lives that no solution we in our own strength seek to implore is going to work. It may subdue the problem for a little while, but sooner or later, it's going to break free again and wreak havoc in our lives. Band-aids aren't going to heal it. Just some things that only Jesus is going to be able to heal. Jesus encounters another demon in the Gospels who had taken possession of a young boy. And the father takes him to disciples, you remember, and the disciples try to cast the demon out, and they have no success. They're not able to cast out the demon. And they, they say to Jesus, they go to Jesus, hey, Jesus, what happened? How come we were not able to cast out the demon? And you remember how Jesus responded in Mark 29? He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. In other words, they were trying to cast out this demon in their own strength rather than trusting in Jesus. Here is the question, brothers and sisters. 
What are you trying to cast out in your own strength? Maybe it's something in your own life. And you're trying to orchestrate things and you're trying to bound it and it just keeps breaking free. Maybe it's something in a loved one's life. You, you see them bound and you're like, I, I'm trying everything in my, in my power, everything, every resource I have to try to help them. I want to help them. But are you doing it in your own strength? Some things can only be driven out by prayer. This kind of thing can't be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus is just going to need to show up and fix it. Now that's easier said than done. <laughs> There's just some things that you just got to trust the Lord with. Let him come and fix it. And when Jesus shows up, brothers and sisters, he fixes it. He fixes it. He fixes it. And just like it is evident when someone is demon-possessed, it is even more evident when someone has been healed by Jesus. <laughs> Listen, people notice when, when, when Jesus has touched you, when Jesus has come and healed you, people notice. They can see the change. Luke 8, 34 and 35, this happened. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they, they had to tell somebody. They fled to the city, and they said, yo, yo, this, remember that demon-possessed man? Jesus came, and he's healed. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Jesus had healed this man, and it was clear as day. The, 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 the city the, the city came, and they, they came out to him, and they, they saw this man who was once naked and, and cutting himself and screaming and, and running around the tombs. They, they saw him at the feet of Jesus and clothed in his right mind. I can only think that he began to sing that old Tremaine Hawkins song, A Wonderful Change Has Come Over Me, right? Oh, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. As he sat at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. That is what happens when Jesus casts out the evil within us and among us. Peace. There is peace and calm that Jesus brings. 
Just like the storm on the sea that Jesus quieted, so too did he bring to a quiet the storm that was raging in the life of this man and that community. And there was no denying it. There was no denying it. Well, brothers and sisters, when Jesus comes into your life, it is evident to those around you. There, there is a difference. You could tell there's just a, there's a difference. A life that was once marked out by violence and hopelessness is now marked out by peace and a desire for life. You're just different. And people notice it. There's a change, a change that comes that Jesus brings. I love in the book of Acts when Peter and John spoke before the high priests and the elders. I just always love when I come to this verse. It says in Acts 4 and 13, now, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that these were some uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus, right? They knew them before and they're like, yeah, yeah, they're not very smart, <laughs> but here they are before us sounding rational and, and articulate. They're, a change had come over them. And what was the reason for that change? Did they, did they get themselves together? Did they go to school or something like that and work up something in themselves? Now they perceived that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus because there's always something different when you are touched and healed by Jesus. So it was with the man who had been demon-possessed. He had been miraculously healed, clothed in his right mind, changed so much that he wanted to, to go and be with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, are y'all leaving? <laughs> You're going back across the Sea of Galilee. Can I come with you? Can I come? He wanted to be with him. Luke 8, 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Oh, a man, a woman that has been changed by Jesus, they want to be with him, and they want to tell others about him. <laughs> The man, this, this man changed me. You remember the, 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 the woman at the well in John 4? Oh, come see a man who has told me everything that I've ever done. This must be the Messiah. Uh, Jesus had an encounter with this man who had been tormented by demons, and he used his power and his authority to heal him, to set him at peace and clothed in his right mind. And he commissioned him for his service. This is what Jesus did for this man. And, and now all was well with him. He had been changed by Jesus. He, he realized, okay, Jesus, I can't come with you, but I'm going to stay in my neighborhood and I'm going to witness to my neighbors. All was well with this man. And all was well in the city right? Well, not exactly. Let's look at the response 
of the people. This, there is actually, there, this is actually a strange response to the healing of this man. Very, very strange. You would think that the challenges this man had presented to the community, that his healing would have produced in them joy and thanksgiving, that, that people would have praised Jesus and wanted them to stay around and do more, but rather than produce joy and worship, it produced fear and anger in the people. Luke tells us in Luke 8:37, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got in the boat and returned. Now the Bible, it doesn't tell us, it doesn't tell us why they were afraid, but we can only assume they feared the awesome power of God clearly demonstrated before them. I, I think it is even safe to assume they were fearful of God changing them. Oh, that's a real thing, you know. People who love their lives, they don't think they need or even want Jesus to change them. There are those, as it says in John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They're loving it. I, I, my life is good. I don't need Jesus. I don't want you changing me. Not everyone wants the change that Jesus brings. This man was, was, was healed. He was, once, he was once running around, strange. Now he is, is healed. You would, you would think they, they, they want that. But they, oh, I'm, 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 I don't want to become like him. <laughs> he see, that's a little extreme. <laughs> oh, but again... The reason why the people responded this way is because Satan is blinding them to the truth. That's why. Remember, not everyone is possessed by demons, but all unbelievers are under demonic influence in the sense that Satan is the one who is keeping them blind to the truth of the gospel. So they too feared the power and authority of Jesus because Satan was blinding their eyes to the truth of the gospel, the, the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So they urged him to leave. They wanted no part of him. Not only were they afraid of Jesus, I think we can uh, uh, discern that that they were also angry with him, based upon what Mark says. He says this in Mark 5 and 16 and 17. And those who had seen it described, it, described to them that what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
Mark tells us that some 2,000 pigs, 2,000, were destroyed that day. Do you know what that would have done to their economy? Big part of the economy. They were angry because in their minds, Jesus was messing with their money. (laughs) Jesus, we are somewhat okay with you healing people. But now you're affecting our pockets. Okay, you got to go. (laughs) Yeah, you can't stay here anymore. Oh, but that's the tactic of the evil one. He blinds us to the things that are most valuable. We are blind to what really matters. Think about it. Jesus, he healed a man who had been tormented for years. Here he was clothed in his right mind, and all they could think about was their pigs being destroyed. Never mind that Jesus had turned the life around of this man completely and in doing so brought some peace even to their lives. Never mind the fact that this man who had been an outcast in the region could now somehow be restored back to our community. Oh, they could not see the goodness of God. Could not see Jesus' goodness to them. But that is demonic influence, brothers and sisters. Satan wants us to think that God and Jesus aren't good. Now, he is not concerned about our financial well-being. That, that, that type of, of thinking, brothers and sisters, is demonic. It comes from the lies of the evil one. We ought to be concerned about the lives of individuals more so than the material things. See, this, the man was demon-possessed. He was, and healed by Jesus. But perhaps more dangerous was that while not possessed, the community, they weren't possessed, but they were under demonic influence. They, They wanted nothing to do with Jesus because the evil one had them blind to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But despite their unbelief, their hostile nature to Jesus, that the healing of that demon-possessed man that day proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had in fact come to destroy the works of the devil. Satan and demonic influence on this world were coming to an end. Jesus, he was going to the cross, he was going to the grave, but he also planned to get up out of the grave, stripping Satan and his minions of all of their power and bite. And he did that on the cross. That's what Colossians 2 and 15 says. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Listen, demonic influence on our world and in our lives is real, but so is Jesus. Jesus is 
powerful. He is more powerful than any demonic influence in this world. He breaks strongholds and sets free those under such influence. But remember, brothers and sisters, our weapons are not carnal. They're not. We call on Jesus, the one in us who is greater. What is he greater than? He is greater than he who is in the world. Demonic influence is coming to an end. Satan is defeated on the cross because of Jesus. He's lost all of his power, all of his bite, because what Jesus did on the cross. And that's the work that we trust in. That's why we go to Jesus. When there are things that we just can't fix, Jesus fixes them on the cross. Let's pray.